This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, you and Molly a while back talked about your brain on a breakup. Yes. And how all the wonky things that happened to you and that the pain you feel is it's all in your all in your mind. Oh yeah, man. And, but because it hurts so much and your brain is telling you that you're hurting, it can actually kind of feel like you are physically hurting. Yeah. Breakups are really hard on the brain. They are. Poor brain. And that's why we feel so bad because um, emotional rejection actually stimulates similar pathways in our brain as as physical mm-hmm. pain. Right. That's why heartache. That's a real thing. Heartache. I know. It's really like it becomes body ache mm-hmm. and tummy ache when you eat too much ice cream. Yeah. And um, evolutionary biologists would probably chalk this up to our body's way of Making sure that we, as a mammalian species, avoid social isolation. Right. Saying, hey, you know what? Uh, they, it de-incentivizes our being alone so right. that we will reproduce at some point. Yeah. We, yeah, it, we, we become lonely so that we will go hang out with other people. But uh, still, man. I know. It's not easy. Well, so today we're going to talk about something completely related, mm-hmm. very similar. We're going to talk about breakup songs and what they do to your brain. Right. Uh, I think that probably everyone out there can relate to the soothing effect of a breakup song. Or not necessarily soothing, but just cathartic. Um, or they can be empowering sometimes. They, they can have a lot of different impacts. And I think this... Topic is especially relevant for the listener who wrote in recently saying, you know, I'm going through a really tough breakup and you guys explain to me how the brain works and all of these neurological things that are happening in my brain. But I need more than this to right. help the pain go by. So, brother, this one's for you. Exactly. You should you should turn on the radio. Turn on the radio or you could turn to my first breakup album. What is it? It was, is oh, so, uh, high school angsty, uh, and I may or may not have returned to it since then. <laughs> Elliot Smith's XO was just, I mean, I played that thing to death. Yeah, in, that's a good one. In, what, junior year of high school. And I have played some of it since. It's a, yeah, it's sad. You can't go back to some of that music. I know. <laughs> I will say, it's like, if I, if I listen to XO now, it, it kind of provokes a little bit of worry in my head of like, wait, are you, are you doing okay? Are you doing okay today? <laughs> How are you doing? How are you doing? Do you, self? Do you need we'll to check be, in. Woo, let's change the channel. Right. Well, music has very strong effects on us, whether, whether it is sad breakup music or, or, you know, pop or whatever. Uh, music actually 
stimulates the release of dopamine. Mm -hmm. So when you're going through a tough time, a breakup or whatever, and you listen to a sad song or one that that's talking about like, oh, I hate you because you broke my feelings up. Um, yeah, because yeah, that's what I would. Right. Break them in two. Break them in half. Uh, I'm also apparently a member of Nickelback. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, you, you have these strong feelings about music because your brain reacts positively to it. It's sort of music can act, can sort of be a catharsis mm-hmm. for you. It's the same thing that you experience when you have a more tangible, um, experience like with sex, food, or drugs. Right. Those, those are actual, Things that can affect your body, whereas music is just like up in the ether. Yeah, and it's not just the magic of Chad Kroger of Nickelback. Yeah, uh, so pipes. magical. Sing my song. Uh, but in fact, studies have confirmed that music has an analgesic effect on physical pain. And there were two studies that were linked to in a Scientific American blog post that was published recently, um, one of which demonstrating the pain mitigating effects of uh, cold compresses and one of hot compresses. I don't know which study I would rather participate yeah. in dealing with freezing, probably cold. Yeah, probably cold. I'm scared of the heat. Would you rather freeze to death or burn? That's another I, yeah, well, no, but I mean, if you're listening to music, the whole point is that if you are listening to music, your perception of pain is reduced. Yeah. And you'd probably just want to live forever. Yep. Yeah, what she just said. So in the study, music is an analgesic for physical pain. Emotional valence contributes to loud music-induced analgesia from the University of Montreal. Essentially, it found that listening to pleasant music uh, helped study participants deal with a hot compress, thermal pain, Mm -hmm. as it's referred to. Right. Um, Even the anticipation of mm-hmm. listening to music that you like can contribute to this effect. You can, you have a release of dopamine if you just think, I'm about to listen to, you know, whatever, whatever you like. I'm not going to judge. Since You've Been Gone by Kelly Clarkson, a yeah. favorite breakup anthem of Fist many pumping. people. Yeah. Fist pumping. It's more of an empowering one. I thought this was interesting too. There was um, a study that was testing pain soothing um, from cold compresses and the effects of music on that. And it found that when listeners, when or the, when the study participants were listening to a musical piece of their choosing that they listened to in everyday life and they knew the lyrics to, mm-hmm. especially like basically the more familiar they were with the song and the more that they liked this song, the more it soothed soothed that pain, which is probably why, I don't know about you, Caroline, but a lot of times we'll return to the same breakup anthems. Mm-hmm. Like, I love um, Gone by Ben Folds. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's such a good one. I like that piano yeah. in there. So now that we know that music can can lower the, these this physical pain, let's talk a little bit about what is going on more specifically in the brain, like how how those musical notes have that kind of power. Mm-hmm. And this is coming from a book by Daniel J. Levitin, who is a neuroscientist, audio engineer, and production consultant for Steely Dan. Yeah. And he wrote, this is your brain on music. And the process is, is pretty simple. The musical notes come in through your ear. It is processed in your cerebellum, 
which is full of dopamine receptors. And then uh, it activates your mesolimbic system, which mesolimbic system is the brain's seat of pleasure and dopamine production. So we get a little bit of a reward from songs that we really like. Mm-hmm. Um, according to an article on Everyday Health, sort of... Um talking about these these effects that music can have on you. Um, there's music therapy, which is a whole mm-hmm. field. There are accredited uh, music therapy programs. You can be a music therapist. Um, but they did studies, and patients of music therapists have been found to require actually less pain medication and have more improvements in their respiration, blood pressure, heart rate, and muscle relaxation. So, I mean, it's no wonder after you go through some sort of traumatic experience that you might just want to kind of zone out from the world for a little while and put your headphones on and listen to some you know, Kelly Clarkson or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or some some Elliot Smith. And that Scientific American um, blog post where we found those links to the um, the initial studies that we talked about, the author also discusses the comfort that she found in not only listening to breakup songs, but even making breakup songs, writing out the lyrics, playing her guitar. Right. Um, Self-expression can definitely help after a traumatic experience. And a 1986 study in the Journal of Abnormal Psychology found that students who wrote about traumatic events they'd experienced ended up having fewer visits to the health center six months after writing in comparison with those who just wrote about something trivial. Mm -hmm. In the moment, their blood pressure went up. Because, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You're reliving what happened to you. But after the fact, you you know, you're calmer. You've gotten it out. Maybe you've worked out some things in your head and you've gotten it down on paper. So it's sort of like you've gotten rid of it. It's out there in the world. Um, What's interesting is that this effect is actually amplified when you share your writing with other people. So you write about your traumatic experience. It helps you. Mm -hmm. You write about your traumatic experience and then you share it with people and you you read what you wrote or you just relay the story to people. It helps even more. Sure. Which is why I am such a complainer. All, look, people, <laughs> all I'm trying to do is, is stay healthy. It makes complete sense to me that sharing that kind of writing would would be so psychologically soothing for us because we're mourning the loss of a very personal and close connection with someone else. And it's a connection that you feel in that moment when it's the worst. You feel like you're never going to find with anybody else. And there is really no exciting reason to wake up in the morning because you are by yourself among a sea of, you know, acquaintances. And who cares? Yeah, I'm just going to start to cry now. But by listening to breakup songs, perhaps, and writing that and communicating the emotions, it rebuilds that kind of emotional connection that you are mourning. Um, For instance, there was an an essay that we found about the psychology of breakup songs and uh, it talks about how it woos us into a calmer mental state by co-regulating our affect and recreating the affective connection like a mother soothing her infant. Interesting. I mean, it's basically we, we want to be because we want to be comforted. And it's mm-hmm. hard during breakups because typically the person that we would initially run to for comfort, if something external happened to us, if we had a bad day at work or a fight with our best friend, they would be the person. Right. That was incorrect grammar. He or she would be the person mm-hmm. uh, that we would that we would run to. And right. And eventually your go. friends are going to get sick of listening to you. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, you probably should just listen to music. So you might want to set up a playlist on <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> right. Um, and you know, along the lines of what you were just saying, Stephen Brown from Karolinska Institute said that music is a powerful device for promoting group identity, cognition, coordination, and catharsis. Like we said earlier, it kind of draws you back to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, music didn't start necessarily as a solitary activity back when we were cavemen and women. You know, we were right. we were hanging out, banging the drums together. Right. Um, and there is an es- essay that I found about breakup songs written by Tao from Tao and the Get Down, Stay Down. And she's talking about the pleasure breakups up songs. And I really liked her perspective because she's writing from the perspective of, of being a musician. And um, she says that the best breakup songs tap into thousands of years of the romantic tradition, the questioning, the regret, the disappointment, and then the moaning. And it kind of keeps you rooted in the heartache for a little while because you want to wallow for a minute. Yeah. And breakup songs kind of give you that space to wallow for Well, you should wallow. Yeah, wallowing. If you're not wallowing, okay, maybe eventually wallowing is is too much and you should just try to get better. At some point, you got to stop wallowing. But no, I mean, if you don't deal with it, you're just going to have, I mean, it's going to come due at some point. Yeah. I mean, we all, I told my stories in the rebound episode. Okay. You have to, you have to deal with your heartache. And, yeah. and so listening to this music, hearing what other people have gone through and, and you feel like someone else is putting words and, and a melody to your feelings, mm-hmm. you know, it can be helpful. Absolutely. And as far as people who, who aren't yet feeling better, uh, a 2004 German study looked at what kind of love songs men and women chose to listen to in the context of their romantic situations. And as you might expect, romantically frustrated men listened to love lamenting music longer than did more content men. Mm-hmm. And the same was true for romantically disenchanted women versus the hopeful ones. But something that I found was a little interesting and it kind of made me think about what music I listen to when I'm in a happy relationship Women in happy relationships exhibited an unexpectedly strong preference for music denouncing love. Really? I, I don't know. I don't know what that's about. So you're in a good, you're saying you're in a content relationship and, but you're, but you're kind of musically yeah. steering clear of it. Interesting. Huh. Maybe you're avoiding attachment or something. But I'm, by you, I mean, just. <laughs> she means the general you. Participants. <laughs> that is, that's fascinating. Well, we, why don't we offer some um, some of the top-rated breakup songs? Let's do it among some different genres to get the conversation started. Because listeners, you're probably going to guess the question I'm going to ask right now, which is, what are your go-to breakup songs? Because there are also the different kind of categories of the breakup song. Mm-hmm. There's the really sad and mournful breakup song, and then there's uh, the more bitter. Don't like, don't think twice. It's all right by Bob Dylan, which mm-hmm. is also a go-to of mine. And then we have the awesome lady empowerment songs, Fallers. such as Destiny's Child, Survivor. Oh yeah, Kelly Clarkson. We've already mentioned. Um, oh, CeeLo's newest song, which is "Screw You." I think in radio PC terms. Yeah, I think it's "Forget You." Forget you. That's what it is. They add a syllable. Um, oh, the classic Alanis Morissette. You ought to know. Oh yeah. That, that Dave Coulier really, really screwed her over. <laughs> he did a number. Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. And uh, for the more more indie rock um, listeners out there, we've got a list from NPR's All Songs Considered. And they recommend The District Sleeps Alone Tonight by the Postal Service, uh, Parting Gift by Fiona Apple, No Children by the Mountain Goats. 
Oh, uh, yeah. Well, uh, I love that good song. Oh, yeah, I do. I love that song. And if you're in a little bit more of a mood to laugh and cry or cry laugh, as we <laughs> like to do sometimes here on Mom, Mom Stuff, there's always I'm Not Crying by Fly of the Concords, which was on more than one breakup songs list that I ran across. So it resonates with a lot of people. Apparently. Um, but yeah, let us know your favorite breakup songs and really what resonates with you because yeah, like I said, my, my go-to was always Elliot Smith's XO. Although I did go through a forget you phase. Yeah. At some point. It's a good one to run to. If you want mm-hmm. a double, a, like a, an empowerment combo, go running while listening to CeeLo's forget you. Yeah, you'll, that you'll whole, feel I love, good. I love that whole album. Yeah. That's great. I, well, I know this is slightly off topic, but I also want to know about music that you can't listen to anymore Ooh, because yeah. either you listen to it during a breakup or you listen to it during a relationship and then that guy broke your heart. And like, I, I it took me forever to be able to listen to Mates of State again. Someone <laughs> After, it. Well, yeah, because I was listening to it while we were so happy. And then the next thing I know, like, we're not so happy. And then I just, yeah, every time I listen to that album, because music can cause such strong uh, feelings and you can have such a strong connection between music and an event. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, it brought up all sorts of bad memories and whatever. Yeah, I had an experience like that with uh, the album Minds from Menomina. And yeah. I think about it sometimes and have to sort of avoid that album. But it only speaks again to that visceral reaction that, that music can elicit from our, our cerebellum and our mesolimbic system and how it can have that effect. Word. Exactly. So on that note, send us your songs, folks, or post them over at, uh, at Facebook. Um, I'd like to get a nice mom stuff breakup playlist. Ready for? Yeah, we can all cry for together. Yeah. Uh, so, in the meantime, let's read a couple of emails. I have one here from John in response to our episode on romance novels. He said, "I have been waiting ever since I first started listening to your podcast for an episode on <laughs> romance novels." Awesome. Thank you. In all caps. I'm a heterosexual male who just so happens to enjoy reading romance novels. Um, I like the romance novels that have the fully fledged female characters that are intelligent, have their own views, and not just some meek little thing that cowers and waits for someone to come save them. I guess I prefer that to the female characters who you described as static, hollow shells because I'm a male and generally don't have the same thought processes, and it's kind of boring if the female is just a wet dish rag all the time. Yeah, I know. I think my favorite romance novel would be the paranormal romance Twist by Colby Hodge. It involves time travel to a future where vampires have pretty much taken over and you live by the samurai sword. Hmm. Well, interesting, Twist by Colby interesting Hodge. combination. Awesome. Yes. This one is from Danielle. She says, my two sisters and I enjoy romance novels and have talked about the most common themes we've noticed in the books and thought there should be a study done of how many couples use a condom but still end up pregnant because the fail rate in these books tends to be staggeringly high. Though we enjoy them, we have sort of made it a game to find the most ridiculous romance uh, romance titles, which usually falls under Harlequin. And I thought I would share these with you. Be aware, these are actual book titles. Oh my. Here we go. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. Willingly bedded, forcibly wedded. Innocent wife, baby of shame. Pre- <laughs> Pregnant by the boss. Exclamation point. Oh. The millionaire's inexperienced love slave. 
millionaire and the pregnant pauper, and our favorite, rancher and the amnesiac bride. Hope these made you laugh as much as they did for us, and please keep the podcast coming. Thank you. Rancher and the amnesiac bride might be, that's the most specific (laughs) title. You know exactly what you're getting into with that one. (laughs) I just love the unnecessary use of an exclamation point. Pregnant by the boss! I bet amnesia is a pretty common condition in romance novels, too. Yeah. Anything like soaps. Well, thank you, everyone, who's written in about romance novels and so much more. And thank you in advance for your your breakup song stories. Again, our email address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can always hit us up on Facebook as well and follow, follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And you can check out what we're writing during the week on the blog. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Paper Ghosts is a true crime podcast that investigates the search for the person responsible for the abductions of four missing girls in neighboring New England towns. For more than 50 years, each case has remained unsolved. Every day is like being lost in limbo. I pray every day that we find Lisa so we can go on. It wasn't until this past year that things took an unexpected turn, a breakthrough. Answers to decades-old questions and witnesses finally ready to talk. I know that that's the person that was there. I can describe what he's wearing. I can smell him a mile away. Jesus, Mary, and Josephine. I hope that's not a grave for many. Oh, you know what? I think it is. Listen to Paper Ghosts on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Amy Nelson. And I'm Sam Edis. We're the hosts of iHeart's newest podcast, What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We both have our own businesses, and between us, we have seven children. And since the moment we met, we've been sharing our stories with each other. The thing is, we all know the stories of industry titans like Bezos and Jobs, but the stories of women, they remain incomplete. We ask questions no one else even touches. We are not afraid to get personal. So listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.